when you uh, set out to plan your preaching calendar, you're supposed to come back after Easter because you're going to have guests coming back. You know, you did such a good job on Easter. You choose a better topic than what I chose today. Um, but I feel like if I didn't do it now, then I would just keep, keep kicking it down the curb. And the reason why you don't talk about what I want to talk about this morning or where the text has led us, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Jesus is going to address a problem that faced his culture, and it's been a problem that has faced every culture thereafter. You see, uh, the topic of conversation this morning is in part sexual immorality, but also in part marriage and God's view of marriage and what he designed it to be. And it's not news to you that we've taken a good gift from God and uh, as humans, and we have uh, tarnished that. We have shaped that into uh, something that um, really there's there's it's a hard it's a hard thing to find the a, a true uh, biblical marriage as God intended it that's not um, messed up by a world of sin. And uh, so I'm going to offer, I'm going to offer a, uh, a disclaimer. I don't normally offer disclaimers on the front end of my sermon, but I'm going to do that. And, and here's, here's my heart. Uh, you know me, and you know that I care about you. And you know that uh, this thing that I do every week is really just me speaking from my heart and trying to do the best I can to encourage you, love you, and lead you closer to Christ. Um, that's my aim every week. Uh, and I hope that this morning you would walk away not with a heaping pile of guilt about your life and where you're at or what you've done, but a great big sense of God's healing and hope for you in your life and your walk. That this is not... Uh, this is not a passage of Scripture where God would like to clobber us upside our heads for all the times that we screw up. That's another sermon for another day. Um, but this morning is about the heartache and God's true biblical vision for what marriage can be. And I believe this, for what your marriage can be now and in the future. Wherever you're at and whatever your story is, wherever you've been in your life, whatever your walk has been, that there is not uh, an insurmountable amount of sin in your life that, does, or that, isn't, um, that isn't able to be forgiven in Christ Jesus. That there's no, there's no amount of it that you have in your life that isn't greater than the forgiveness we have in the cross of Christ. I hope you believe that, I hope you know that, and I hope that anything I say today that might sound or run contradictory to that statement, that you would believe and know that that's not the truth. That that's a lie from the evil one to make you think that God's forgiveness isn't good enough for you, and that God's help for you is made up or not, not real or genuine. Friends, I, I just... I offer that disclaimer because I don't want it to come off like I'm clobbering you. I want to encourage you. The end goal is that every marriage in, uh, in our congregation, for those who are in attendance and, and every, uh, every relationship in our church family, 
would be strengthened and be led closer to Christ and stronger together. I've been thinking a lot about this message, and um, and the truth is, is uh, I haven't really felt comfortable with it all week uh, because of just the disclaimer of all of the things that are going on in our world and all of the visions that we get put in front of us as this is what a happy marriage is or this is how you should use your bodies. Um, It's all being blurred by sin and brokenness. The mere mention of divorce is a, is a word that we are, is so common to us, and there is so much pain and heartache that wrapped around it. Many of us have gone through a divorce. Many have had parents who are divorced. Many uh, have gone through that heart-wrenching hurt. And this message this morning is actually not for you. I shouldn't say it that way. This message is not condemning you. This message is actually a challenge for you. That if you have experienced divorce and you've gone through divorce, I want to ask something from you on the onset. Because it's you that I think who can speak encouragement It's you, I think, that can come alongside the marriages in our congregation and be the greatest advocates for them to work things through and to figure things out and navigate the problems and be great encouragers and advocates for marriage in our congregation. Does that make sense? Because Paul, think about this, Paul, he killed Christians and he became the greatest advocate for Christianity. And I know that this is backwards, but God uses our hurt. God uses what we've gone through so that we can be better witnesses forward for a greater greater future. So if you've been through that hurt, I would ask that you would be on my side this morning. That you wouldn't feel like I'm coming down uh, hard on you, or more specifically, Jesus coming down hard on you, but that you would see this as an opportunity. And I know that this is true and possible. The greatest advocates for marriage that I know have gone through divorce. And I feel like if we could, if we could just capture the biblical vision and capture what God is calling for marriage to be, I think we can get behind it and start rallying behind it and say, we, we need this. And so... It, um, so all disclaimers aside, let's get into our text, and you'll see why I've been so, like, uh, whatever. Here we go. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 5. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard that it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Verse 31, it says, It has been said, 
Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I think Jesus is addressing married men in verse 31 and 32. I think he's addressing married men who are entertaining the idea that maybe it would be okay if I divorced my wife. I think that he's addressing it and saying, don't. And he's giving, uh, he's giving a, uh, a disclaimer. If she's already run away, uh, he, he gives that disclaimer. If, if she's already turned from him, and except for, uh, except for unfaithfulness. And what I really don't want to do this morning, and I think is not the intention of the text, is to say, when is it okay to divorce and when is it not to? I think the intention of the text is to say that we have a tendency to undervalue the relationships we have in our lives. That we have a tendency to discard people quicker than we do to discard our things and our possessions. That we're more likely to hang on to the stuff that still brings us satisfaction and we dismiss people in our lives. I think Jesus is addressing this sort of inner heartache and things and things that we wrestle with and trying to sort through our lives and say Jesus is saying take a long look at your heart and so what I've been praying all morning is uh, and all week is that the spirit of Christ would speak to you through this text because I can I can talk about every possible scenario about all the different things that go on in our lives and in the end, I would just simply, if I were sitting in the pew this morning, I would want to hear a word from God and His Spirit and say, how do I live my life faithfully today in light of what I know about Christ and His grace and His love? And for me, when I look at this text, I, I see myself in it condemned. It says if you even look uh, at a woman lustfully that you've committed adultery in your heart, um, I think I'm the only guy in here that's probably done that, right? What does he mean by lust? What, the way that um, I have come to talk about lust uh, is just using a triangle. Riley, would you please bring the triangle up on our, our screen, please? Why, thank you. All right. Uh, so this is pretty simple. I got this from a guy named James Bryan Smith. Uh, his, son, his son asked him, Dad, can I kiss a girl? And um, I think that I'm going to be navigating this, this question soon in my life. I don't know. The ladies really like Oliver. He gets it naturally from his father. But uh, thank you. I, all right. Uh, so, uh, he, so in a spur of, uh, spur of thought uh, or a moment of, of uh, just ingenuity, he drew a triangle for his son. And he drew a similar triangle, and he put intimacy on one side and commitment on the other. And what he said is, son, how committed are you to this young lady? I was like, well, we're just kind of friends. I was like, okay, well, in the sense of what marriage is, marriage is the highest level of commitment and the highest level of intimacy coming together. 
And he said, where you don't have con- commitment and you have high levels of intimacy, that's where you have lust. And so if you just, uh, if you just take that, where there's no commitment and there's high levels of intimacy, then if you put pornography on the map of that, then you see a sense of that. And when you see, put lust in that sort of framework, you start to see it's the highest levels of intimacy with virtually no commitment. And so what I, when I think about uh, what lust is, it, it's, to me, it's the diminishing of the image of God in which we're created. You know, as we think back a couple of weeks ago to our conversation about anger and how we view and speak about other people, it is a diminishing of God's, uh, of the image of God that is within each and every one of us. For me to say you're an idiot or whatever uh, would be to diminish your value in light of you are created in God's image. For me to lust after and objectify and desire, um, desire a woman is to diminish her value in the image of God. It's to objectify them. And so to me, what Jesus is doing in this text is reminding us deep within our hearts to value and love people and treasure and care for them and don't diminish their value by objectifying them as if they are something that can be discarded or easily done away with once, once they no longer bring us the satisfaction that we want. And I think that that's the key to the whole thing. The certificate of divorce that Jesus addresses was a mechanism in the, uh, in the old world of protecting the woman uh, because if she didn't have the certificate of divorce when she went to go get remarried or whatever, she could have been accused of adultery. But the certificate was a way of protecting her. But Jesus is just saying, let's back the whole train up and let's take a long look at our heart and say maybe, just maybe, we've, We've got a heart problem. And um, I, I was uh, studying a lot this week, and I, and I don't know if this is right or wrong or not, but I'm going to settle on my decision, and I'm going to read this. And I want, you to think about, um, I want you to think about this. What does biblical marriage look like? And what I mean by that is not the moral code uh, of things or like all of the messiness in our culture of talking about the biblical view of marriage and all that stuff. What we believe as Christians, or at least what I think we ought to believe as Christians, is that when Jesus died on the cross he op- and resurrected from the dead and ascended to the throne, he opened up the doors And he allowed all of humanity to enter into a new creation where sin and death no longer hold reign over us. This is new creation. This is new life. This is life in God's kingdom. And my question is, is what does that life look like? And in particular, what does it look like for someone to be married and have that marriage that's in this sort of realization that there is a new life before us. And so I'm going to do something, and it's not really in the text, and so I'm just going to ask for a little bit of license. 
and that's in Galatians chapter 5. And what Paul does in Galatians chapter 5 is he talks about life in the flesh and life in the spirit. And so what I'm asking is, what does a spirit-driven marriage look like? One where the spirit of Christ is animating my life as a husband. What a, the spirit of Christ looks like animating my wife. What does that marriage look like? Converse, uh, uh, with the opposite being, what does a marriage in the world often look like when it's given into the flesh? Now the text, so this is a little bit of license, but I just want you to have a little imagination with me. So in Galatians 5, 16, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit. And I would say, let's walk by the Spirit in our marriage. And you will not gratify the desires of flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. That they are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then in verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I imagine that the vast majority, if not all, divorces occur because of something on that list. Particularly witchcraft. I mean, you walked in on them one day and it was like, whoa. I mean, that would be pretty startling. I imagine it's everything else. (laughs) Dissension, selfish ambition, drunkenness, sexual immorality. And I know that to live in that must have been awful. And I know to live in it now would be terrible. But the biblical view of marriage, I see something along these lines. That is is a spirit-endowed, a spirit-filled marriage looks something along these lines of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of faithfulness, of gentleness, and self-control. And what I feel like, friends, is that Jesus points us in a way of a marriage that can look like God wanted it when he created it in the garden. When God created marriage, he said the two would become one flesh. The biblical view of marriage is that intercourse is marriage and marriage is intercourse, that they're the same. What the world has said is that you can have multiple partners and you can figure out if you like them or not and then maybe one day make a commitment to that. You see, I think that our framework for the biblical, uh, our framework for understanding marriage has been so messed up by the flesh that we don't know how to have a marriage in the spirit of Christ. And what I am advocating for, and what I think that Jesus is advocating for, is that wherever we're at right now, 
whatever's going on, whatever the scenarios are, whatever the past is, that the Spirit of Christ is something that can indwell you now. And there is a fruit from that that can go forward. And isn't that the marriage that we should be advocating for? You see, I get the sense from the culture that because God has such a hard view on these sorts of things, that we need to just sort of remake God into our own image. As a God who is not against you, but for you. The God that says you live the way that you want to live, and you do what you want to do, and you be you. And I would just ask, in your opinion, do you think that the sexual ethic of America has worked out very well? that children have benefited. Friends, there's a better way forward. And as always, the better way forward is a life in God and a life pursuing God and his kingdom and the life we have in him. And I hope that you hear this morning a great big, um, great big, embrace from God that says he loves you and he wants your way forward to be filled with his spirit and his peace and his joy I don't get to stand up here um, as the expert on marriage I don't get to stand before you as a man innocent of adultery according to Jesus' standards I only get to stand before you as one who's been redeemed and saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. The only thing I get to stand on is the cross of Christ. My only boast is Him. And it's your only boast. And I know that there's heartache, and I know that it's hard and difficult, but I would just ask this. That when we pray when we pray about this and all the things I could have said and didn't say or a better way to say it, that we would listen to the Spirit and we would truly, genuinely ask, God, speak to me about my life. Speak to me about a single young man. Speak to me about a divorcee or a widower. Speak to me about whatever my context is, whatever you want to bring to him. Say, God, how do I live this new vision for my life in Christ? How do I live and, and honor you? A life that is a blessing and not still filled with the curse of death and sin. So all I can do for application, I think, is pray. And I'd ask that you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we lay before you a challenging text, one in which can bring about um, emotional heartache, reminders of our past, and reminders of our brokenness and our sinfulness. And God, we know that you love us. We know that you want us, uh, you want us to not bring uh, just so much baggage of sexual immorality into our marriage. 
Uh, but God, you've, you've seen the world we live in. And you, you know, God, that we've, we've seen things long before we should have. We have had things done to us that never should have happened. God, you, you know our past. But you know of a greater future. And you offer it to us. And so we, we humbly ask that you would show us it. Show us a better future and the life in your son Jesus Christ. For where we need forgiveness, God, we now confess it to you. God, for your healing and your help, we now ask you. For the guilt that we carry, we pray for your mercy and your peace. For your guidance forward, we pray for your word and your spirit to indwell in us. We pray for your wisdom and discernment. We pray for your patience and your kindness. God, we love you. And we thank you for your son. And we pray that we would have advocates for marriages in our church family. God, if we're hurting, help us to find the help and encouragement we need from one another. God, we pray that the commitments we've made to our spouses would be honored. God, that in a, in a world filled with so much sexual immorality, we pray that we would be a community of people that reflect a good, the goodness of your kingdom. The love that you have for us. God, that our commitment to each other would be a reflection of your commitment to us. That you haven't given up on us. That you haven't you haven't given up forgiving and leading and caring for us. God, the story of the cross, may it be, may it be ever on our hearts as you sought us and pursued us and give us life. May we follow you. We need you, Lord. We need you in our, in our life, in our life together, in our marriages, in our homes. God, for the single people here, I pray for them. God, may they see themselves not as, not as often as they might feel in negative ways, but to trust and know that they can serve you 
and find uh, dignity and love in you and be amazing servants in your kingdom. God, we honor you, we glorify you, we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I offer some responses uh, to this text. And in the end, it was my own sort of best effort to try and say, what do we do with this text? I would simply challenge you and ask that you be in conversation with God, that you be in conversation with the people in your life about what does it look like for me to move forward, to live a spirit-filled life. If you haven't given your life to Christ, you haven't made that commitment to Him, I would ask that you would turn to Him and find new life and salvation in Christ. And friends, if you'd stand and we'd continue in our worship.